Keith, here we are again. We're back. Uh, I, I don't quite have the, the piss and vinegar in me after this latest first round loss that I have had in the past. Uh, and I, I feel like, you know, we're probably in similar boats on this. I think that a lot of the fan base is like the the overarching feeling that I'm kind of having is not really like anger or even disappointment with the team necessarily. Like certainly it's also not surprise or disbelief. Um by any means, but but more so like a feeling of disappointment that the season is done. Not like disappointed in the team. It's not really a novel feeling, I, I know, but I, I just really wish I were still watching the Leafs play right now. Like I was not ready for the season to end, wasn't ready to stop watching Austin Matthews rip you know, pucks into the top shelf just felt, uh, felt premature. And uh, I mean, they, they, they fought a hard series. Um, I feel like a lot of people have, have kind of recognized already that, you know, it was it felt a little different than past years, but ultimately the result is the same. Uh, Nick, how are we feeling? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the fact that th- they were right there. It just, it feels a little different this time around. I know like most years th- there always seems to be, a player or a handful of players or, or one specific issue that really stood out that you're able to point to as the reason that they weren't able to get it done. And this time I think they just had a really hard fought series against another great team and, and they just came up a little bit short. Uh, I really loved Steven Stamkos's quote after the series. He said, it's not because the Leafs aren't worthy of, of finding success and it's not that they don't have all the pieces. It's just that Tampa has all the pieces too. And I really think that ultimately that's what it came down to. Um, with the past years and the way things have gone for this franchise, I know that's not really a satisfying answer for anybody. And it, it took me a bit of time to come to terms with it as well. Uh, maybe a good thing that we waited a little while for the dust to settle before having this chat. But yeah, I, I just think it really came down to two great teams going down to the wire and yeah they it just didn't go the Leafs way yeah exactly I, I think it's like a combination of what you just said and just the Montreal series just being an absolute like emotional low point that I like it yeah. I don't think like if you're contrasting the two feelings like it's not even close like I, I get that the outcome is the same but it's it's hard to I don't know if it, like, last year just like completely broke me like I I, I obviously was disappointed for many of the reasons that you guys said, especially with what you said, Cam. Like, I was just not ready to stop watching. Like, I, I hate the fact that hockey's being played right now and the Leafs aren't, aren't playing. But I found it very difficult to be super upset with, with the team at the end of the series. Like, they had one bad game, really, realistically. And then Tampa had one bad game. And then there was just a bunch of really close kind of hard fought games between two extremely good teams that could have gone either way in every game. So, well, you you made the, you made the point about the Habs. Like if it makes any sense at all, like this first round out has just kind of made me more pissed off about last year's (laughs) playoff exit. If anything, like, because this is, this is exactly what we feared then, right? Like we talked about this, like if you don't make your hay in the Canadian division, like congrats, you you get to go back to the Atlantic. You draw one of the Florida teams and you're looking at a coin flip at best. Like they, they, they choked it away last year, right? Like this year they played incredibly well basically throughout the series, uh, but they lose. And, and you know, it's 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 a tough result, obviously. But if you, like, you look at the hockey that's being played now and, and it's hard to uh, hard to argue that that series wasn't just like a cut above a lot of other stuff that we were seeing in the first yeah. and even now in the yeah. second round, right? So 
I mean, it's not much uh, much solace, but yeah, that matchup between Tampa and Toronto is worthy of happening a lot later into the postseason than than where we got it, and that's just the that's the breaks sometimes, and the, and the way that the NHL playoff format works. If, if you don't like it, play better and win the division. Yeah, so I, I I know there's there's always like two kind of schools of thought around this about like the team that beats you. Like, do you want them to go on a run and win, and then you feel better because you almost went that. You know, you almost went the distance with there. You did go the distance with them, and and they're you know they're beating everybody else. Or the whole theory of just like you know you don't want that team beat your team. You want them gone. But I'm always in that first camp. Like I would much rather. Like it gave me a bit of satisfaction last year knowing that Montreal went as far as they did, just because it would have been even more embarrassing for them to beat the Leafs and then just get swept in the next round or something like that. So the fact that Tampa is now just stomping all over uh, Florida that. You know, it's weird to, you know, be sitting here trying to find, not even trying to find silver linings, just like happening to find silver linings in in another playoff loss uh, in the first round, but just doesn't feel the same this year. And I think you definitely saw the team take a little bit of a step forward. But again, I know we're not at the point where moral victories are something that we should be excited about. Yeah, but I think there is some form of moral victory in it, in a sense that, you know, Getting back to what I said before, there's always been kind of something to point to or a group of players to point to as the reason they didn't get over the hump. Last year, it was Matthews and Mariner really bore the brunt of it for not producing against Montreal in the opening round. I think we saw all those guys, all the best players on this team kind of take a step and they contributed to giving this team a real chance down to the wire again in game seven losing by a goal to the back-to-back champs, a club that could very well go on to win their third straight uh, it just feels different this time around. It's not as disappointing. It was it was equally as heartbreaking because it felt like they were right there. I don't know about you guys, but when Tavares scored that 3-2 goal with seven seconds left in the second period of Game 6, it really felt like you know, that was the time it was that it, they, they were finally going to get it done. Yeah. And, you know, just in true Leafs fashion, <laughs> things happen. And it it didn't go that way, but I don't think it was – anything near a collapse or a meltdown or anything like that. They fought right down to the end and they never wilted. They never rolled over and died. And all the best players on the team contributed. And and that's almost like not more disappointing, but like just in the sense that like there is this feeling of impending doom, right? Like, (laughs) um, because obviously like contracts are coming up and, and, you know, uh, it it seems like it's going to be run it back rather than blow it up. And we'll get into that a little more. But, um, you know, it it seems like a lot of these guys are going to be back. But, you know, you're possibly reaching the end of that era. And if they never break through, like it doesn't matter if they fought hard in this one, it's all getting lumped together. Like no one, no one looks back at like the, the Ron Wilson slash Todd McClellan sharks years to make distinctions from, you know, season to season about how much they might've deserved better in some of those series. Right. Like, yeah. and those teams are, are, are teams that actually won a series, like at least a series, almost every season. It's going to be so much easier for like NHL fans at large media at large, just kind of brand these guys as the ultimate losers. If they can't break through in the next season or two. And, and that's why you got to run it back because you break it up now and you're just kind of conceding defeat. Aren't you? Yeah. This core, this core would be completely, completely over at that point like that's that's their legacy exactly yeah and and really we're getting to the point where i know after the the loss to montreal last season 
and you mentioned it earlier, Cam, that the biggest fear was that, you know, this could happen again where maybe they fall in a tightly contested series to a really good team. And just because of past playoff losses, someone loses their job or one of the core members of the team gets shipped out of town just for the sake of change. And I think that with the way that they were able to compete against Tampa and just how close the series was, they gave themselves another shot with this core and with this front office and coaching staff to take another crack and take another run at getting over the playoff hump. Yeah, I mean, it's just like just looping back on on the series itself and like, you know, talked about it a little bit, but just like comparing it to, to some of the other series like Nick you you are the commish for a few fantasy leagues that we we partake in right now yahoo head to head uh leagues the, those match you up against one other manager each week you do not run your your leagues on yahoo and i think this is a big reason why 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 is it that you use this other site we use well it's great because you can schedule more than one matchup a week and if you have a big week and you just happen to be matched up against the guy who had the most points that week you still have a chance to pull out a victory against your other matchup so it exactly doesn't quite work that way in the nhl (laughs) (laughs) but how we can wish like if the leafs could have somehow transposed their performance onto another series how many do they win in five games like uh, looking at like except for colorado (laughs) right like like how many teams had a poorer showing over the last, you know, or the previous two weeks and still managed to advance like the Florida Panthers for damn sure is one of them. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's tough to, to swallow from that point for sure, for sure. And I hate this playoff format, hated it the moment it was announced. Um, well, the Atlantic and- division is just murderers row, right? And th- there's not really going to be an easy matchup in the first round for the, for any of the top, teams in the Atlantic for the next or for the foreseeable future with the way that these squads are built. Um, it, it, it is kind of a, a bitter pill to swallow when you look at the season that the Leafs had. And I, I think that kind of adds to, you know, the, the, uh, the belief, I guess, for lack of a better term in, in kind of keeping this group together, they've steadily improved over the last couple of seasons. They just had the greatest regular season in franchise history and, Lo and behold, their reward is the back-to-back champs in the first round. It's a, it's a tough draw, um, but I, that's just the way it goes. Uh, it, no one really cares. You just work harder and win, I guess. I love that the NHL decided with that playoff format. Let's use something that the uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League used and then discarded because it sucked. Let's let's pick that up and run with it. Um yeah, not a, not a fan of it, but that's that's the breaks, and that's you know again that's what we said last year. You're you're running right back into this, and it's not going to be a whole lot different next year. So go out and win the division, which should be within reach. But um, yeah, it sucks, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's no real other way around it. I know we're trying to rationalize all this and kind of come to terms with our feelings on the whole thing here, but uh, yeah, it. it Bottom line, it just sucks to have this feeling year after year. And, you know, we heard the players say as much themselves. You know, it, yeah, it sucks, man. 
I, I will say, like, just to kind of advance the discussion a little bit, um, you know, in the the week or so that's followed, um, you know, there have been some developments. Uh, the most significant of which, I suppose, being that uh, Kyle Dubas and and Sheldon Keefe will be staying on, which you know I I'm happy about. Obviously, like coming into this season, I, I was worried. Um, you know, that narrative was was around the team and around Dubas that like he was in the hot seat coming in, and and another first round exit wasn't going to cut it. So I was really pleasantly surprised to see that like most reasonable fans were were very much on the run it back train um because like no no gm is ever actually on the hot seat this soon into their tenor unless it's uh, you know a a uh, something that's manufactured by the media right like examples a through f being every single other canadian market <laughs> um so just, yeah, glad that, you know, he's going to continue to get a chance to, to build this. And, um, you know, can't deny how far the program has come in the last, you know, five or so years. Right. And uh, um, so it's it's undoubtedly the right decision. And hopefully the results, the results follow. But that's I feel like that's, you know, what you got to kind of run with. Trust the process. Oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't even. You're not losing faith, are you, bud? No, just the, that, phrase. <laughs> that phrase. I don't want to associate with that phrase whatsoever, considering how things went with the 76ers this season. Um, I mean, again, just comparing and contrasting this to years past, like this was definitely the first year that, you know, I, my kind of like Twitter, you know, hiatus after the series and just not wanting to absorb any content Leafs related and not wanting to do any kind of like just reading about anything at all. Um, but this was going to, this was definitely the quickest turnaround where I got on to, you know, the armchair GM and the UFA list and seeing who was out there and doing things like that, because I I do think there's going to be a bit of change this year. There's some stuff that's going to happen. I think there's some big pieces that might get moved, but also, at the same time, I, I could totally see it being the exact same because I think the pieces that you would like to move, like maybe you, you're ready to move on from a Jake Muzzin and I think everybody would probably want to move on from Mrazek, they're not going to be the easiest things to get out from underneath of. So there's a good chance that it looks the exact same. But with with the with the geo you know extension i think that frees up a lot of space and that makes things pretty interesting yeah so that's that's the other big news um mark giordano uh signs a two-year extension with the leafs eight hundred thousand per which whoo baby that's a nice ticket I, I i was really hoping it would come in low I think we were all talking about like three or four million was going to be acceptable to me <laughs> like yeah the the, the the kind of getting to keith's point about muzzin specifically like i i think we were kind of all uh, on board with you know maybe retaining giordano at three million or f- even four million and being able to save uh, a million bucks on the cap by re- replacing muzzin with giordano now, if it turns out that they are able to move muzzin or they decide to move muzzin whatever and they're replacing him with Giordano at 800k now. Like you're saving almost five million dollars on the cap. It's about as big of a hometown discount as you can get. And, and I think just getting back to what Keith was saying initially, I think that stems from just I still believe in this team, and I'm sure that's kind of what you're getting at. And it kind of goes with what Giordano is buying into as well, with taking that much of a discount to be with his hometown club, a club that he really believes has a chance to get this done and find some playoff playoff success in the next couple of years while he's still around. Yeah. I mean, the, the 
the biggest part is I think that we we saw that his game definitely wasn't slowing down. Uh, I think everybody was on board of bringing him back, but also just the the kind of chemistry that he found quickly with Lilligren. I think that's a pair that I'm fully prepared to have come back. And if your third pair next year, you know, assuming that Sandine gets a look in the top set or top four, then you know that 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 already kind of feels better than how things were looking at the beginning of last season in terms of the pieces coming together. I feel like they're probably going to move on from Hall. I don't think you can justify having Hall as a $2 million kind of like seventh defenseman for what they're probably going to want to do up front. I don't think that that's going to work. But again, uh, what I said earlier, there's a good chance that he comes, even if they do move on from Muzzin, then potentially you're looking at like a Brody and Hall pair, which I know they toyed around with a little bit too. So there's, 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 all of a sudden a little bit of wiggle room um you know both in the forwards and the defense with with kind of the cap space that that would be shed if again if you're able to get out from underneath of a of a muzzin or a mrazic with and then again compounded with the fact that you're saving a ton of money with with giordano yeah so i think it's probably safe to say that we're all kind of team run it back for the most part like at least in terms of like the core guys right like i I think that um you know there are certainly quibbles you could make but like in terms of like the blow it up side of things is there any part of either of you that is kind of wanting to see a a blow it up type of move and and if so what i think i would classify myself in the category of i don't want them to blow it up absolutely not but i am at the point where i'm more willing to to listen on some things that you know maybe you would have hung up the phone a little quicker on in the past Mm -hmm. uh you know you're talking guys like I'm going to get lots of flack for this, but you know, I think William Nylander's got to be a conversation that's had this off season. Um, not, not just because of shaking things up, but you got to look ahead a little bit. And that guy's got two years left on his deal. Uh, are you projecting that you're going to be able to pay him and keep him around or that you're even going to want to in a couple of years with the other tickets you're going to be paying? Um, it, there's things that can be done as, it, as far as like reallocating some of the salary and where it's spent in the lineup. I would definitely be looking at all avenues to to make this team better. With you know the, the only guys really being completely untouchable for me would be Austin, Mitch, and and, and probably Riley. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, I I'm prepared. I wouldn't be as heartbroken, I guess, this year if Nylander's gone. And it's not a knock on him. It's just more he's going like you said from an asset management standpoint this is probably the best year to trade him in terms of value in terms of what you're going to be able to get for him. Cause if it's next year, then it's only one season getting, getting him as, as the team acquiring Nylander, getting him for two years at 6.9 is, is a lot more attractive. So you have the return and then you just have from a roster composition standpoint where I think we we had this conversation, but you look at points in the, in the series where it's like maybe, Instead of having one seven million dollar player, there's a there's there's a, a thought process here. We're having two guys that might make the same, you know, combined. That's just two more lottery tickets that another guy's going to get hot in the playoffs and, and score, you know, come up in a big moment, you know, instead of kind of putting it all into one guy. So I think just kind of the depth angle of it, I'm ready to to kind of listen to it and, and probably you know would be content with moving it on i mean it's going to depend on it doesn't all have to be a part of the same transaction obviously you know but on who kind of comes in and makes up for that seven million dollars like if you can go out and find 
two guys that, you know, get into the 40 and 50 point range, I think that might make you a deeper team, which again, in the playoffs, I think we've seen maybe now for the second, well, more than the second year in a row, but where we've seen that maybe a little bit more offense from the, you know, third and fourth lines might, might've been kind of, or even the second line in this series for a period of time uh, would have been something that, that they needed and, and would have probably helped them close out a game or two. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely not advocating like shipping Nylander out of town, like at definitely all Definitely not and in I like certainly... a vitriolic way either. Like it's not a, uh, you know. Yeah. I certainly won't be upset if he's still on the team next fall by any means, but I, I think I, I'm of the same mind as you as far as like diversifying the forward group, I think needs to be a, a real focus this off season. And if it comes down to having to split some of those dollars up and, and kind of spread it around to add more depth or, or just have another reliable piece in the lineup that brings something different. I, I definitely think it's something that's going to be explored. If there's going to be a significant shakeup to this club or to the core in any way, shape or form, I, I just think that the, the, only answer really to that is William Nylander. Yeah. Yeah. And you're probably right on that. And that's, you know, disappointing, but, but you know, that it might ultimately be the way that it goes. And especially, you know, there, there are probably some needs that you could address with the guy, you know, of that caliber. Like, you know, if you see a deal out there that you look at and say, we can bring in a young defenseman who's going to solidify our blue line, like truly solidify our blue line for the next decade or whatever, like a, a Jacob Chikrin or someone along those lines, or, or, you know, if, if there's the right deal out there for like someone who plays maybe a little bit more of a smash mouth type of brand up front who's actually good, like an actual top six guy, not just a, a banger. But like I'm thinking, you know, the Capitals obviously had to reload around their core a few times. And at one point they brought in TJ Oshie. So like, is there a guy, you know, in that type of mold who, you know, is just kind of in, in their prime right now who you could add to this core and, and would kind of bring an element like you know that's that's maybe a guy that gets that piece done flip the two front letters around and you have my my, my number one target <laughs> jt miller um yeah we'll we'll get into lots more off-season stuff um in the next next little while we're not gonna we're not gonna rush it by any means but um, just initial feelings initial thoughts a long, long summer yeah. <laughs> yeah another long summer for the boys that's right that's right so um in the spirit of kind of uh, uh, getting prepared for some more off-season content, uh, once again, much earlier than than expected, uh, second year in a row where we managed to get off one podcast during the series, um, we'll, we'll dive much further in. But for right now, uh, one fix each for next season. Uh, what do we think, you know, what's kind of the... the the lingering issue, I guess, in terms of roster construction on our minds at the moment. Nick, why don't you start us off? Well, I'll just kind of get back to what I was saying before. and It's a bit of a, like a, a broader thought, but I just think diversifying the forward group is, is going to be a really important thing for the Leafs to focus on this offseason. I, I thought that was kind of uh, a differentiating factor between them and Tampa in the opening round loss. Uh, I, I thought the Lightning got a lot more from the the bottom half of their forward group, not just in terms of production, but in terms of driving play and creating energy and things like that. I know that uh, Ilya Mikheyev and Pierre Engvall both had really good regular seasons, but I, I just found that their 
their style didn't really translate the same way in the postseason. Uh, they aren't exactly the kind of players that generate energy with you know strong physical play. They are good on the forecheck when they're hounding pucks and kind of sustaining possessions like that. But it, it just seemed like the, the Leafs needed a little more punch from lower in the lineup. And I think finding a bit more energy guys that can kind of drag them into the fight. It's something I've been saying for a number of years now. And you can kind of add Alex Kerfoot into that as well, like as effective as he was in the regular season. I don't think anyone would say that he had a, a strong series. If there was anyone that maybe had a poor series against the Lightning, I think you could point to Alex Kerfoot. Um, it just There's a lot of the same sort of player up front in the Leafs forward group right now. And I just think you want to kind of change that mix up a little bit, even if it doesn't mean big changes to the to the best players up front Keith I think it's about finding a right shot defenseman to play with Morgan Riley for the foreseeable future I think that TJ Brody's done a good job with that but I really like the idea of maybe easing Rasmus Sandin into some tougher minutes with a guy like TJ Brody beside him um, I've already spoken earlier about Giordano and, and Lilligren being probably I would say penciled in as your third pair to start the season, if not second, like, you know, we've talked about the whole concept of the two, a two B thing, but um, yeah, I think that you, you kind of need to solidify and, and do right by Morgan a little bit and get him a partner that, you know, is suited to, to his game and, and suited to kind of complimenting him the way, again, the way that, that Brody did. And perhaps this ends up being, you know, Brody and Riley are still together and it's finding a right shot defenseman to play with Sandine but it's it's uh it's it's getting out you know using some of the cap space that they they might have available to them using some of the assets that they saved by not kind of spending them at the trade deadline last year they have their first for the next two seasons they have pretty much all of their prospect pool um you know to go out and, and find a way to to kind of solidify the either top pair or, or at least second pair right shot defenseman. My, I guess, big thing right now is not necessarily that you need to start next season with someone other than John Tavares at 2C, but I think it is time to start a dialogue. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that the, the shift to wing has to happen you know, in training camp, but I think that um, you got to start looking at options for someone who can kind of drive play a little better and, and maybe um, free yourself up to move Tavares to, to wing later in the season. Maybe it's even a, a deadline move that you know you, you solidify yourself down the middle and, and now you've got the extra weapon on the wing with being able to move Tavares around. But I, I just I think that we're kind of at that point. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in our playoff pod Um and, you know, I think that that's uh, certainly going to be something that Dubas is, is going to have to investigate thoroughly uh, this, this offseason. Um, because, yeah, I mean, the, Tavares obviously does a lot for you. He, um, you know, has great impacts on the defensive side of the game. He can really kind of control down the middle of the ice, even if he's doing it a bit of, at a bit of a slower pace. But $11 million, you got to produce and you have to find a way to, uh, you know, get the best production out of him. And, and I don't know if that's going to happen at, at uh, down the middle of the ice anymore moving forward. Yeah, it's a real question. And I, I think that maybe some of the, the cumulative frustration amongst the fan base 
has to do with the fact that we're, we're getting to that point where it's apparent that Tavares is declining. Maybe his best years are, or almost certainly his best years are behind him and the Leafs were unable to find any modicum of, of postseason success in that window where he was still at his best and playing through the peak years of his career. Yeah. Yeah. These were kind of, these were kind of supposed to be the years that it was like, you know, fuck that. We'll worry about that when it happens kind of thing. Cause we're going to have the first four years where in first couple of years and where Matthews and Marner are cheap and it won't matter that Tavares is making 11 million. Well, didn't work out that way, but we've seen plenty of excellent, you know, centers through their twenties shift to the wing and, and kind of get a bit of a resurgence in their game when there's not as much responsibility for them on the ice, especially offensive minded guys like Tavares. So it, it makes a ton of sense. And it was, again, something we all saw coming. Just unfortunately, there was no success to kind of uh, ease the pain a little bit. Well, it, it might actually end up opening up their options a little more in terms of how they look to address the forward group because you're not just limiting yourself to trying to find a a winger that can play in the top six with John Tavares maybe that guy ends up being a center and allows you to make that move earlier on yeah that's that's another good point like I, I think that it does create some um some flexibility up front because that uh, yeah that, that second line was a huge problem in the in the postseason you just I mean all season you just could not find a fit there uh, you know Willie was kind of on on the the downturn for for long stretches and and Tavares was having trouble getting it going and like it, it was just not a good combination so that that I mean the second line kind of as a whole needs needs to be re-examined for sure but yeah I, I think that that is certainly one of the uh one of the options you got in investigate so it's, it's going to be an interesting off season um always is fuck me that we're here fuck me <laughs> that we're here already can we just get a quick reaction nick what what are your thoughts on fellow two first name uh nick paul disrespectfully <laughs> uh, you know it, no you know I, i'm i'm gonna plead the fifth here i, I think uh any Leafs fan listening to this podcast probably has similar feelings on nick paul right now as i do um All I will say is it it was extremely frustrating that after seeing him get stonewalled numerous times throughout the series that uh, he he managed to bang in his first two goals in in what was the series clincher. Yeah. So, yeah, you know what? Fuck that guy. Fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah it's always, I guess, a little bit of a surprise when you unlock a new feeling, a new low as a Leafs fan, but like the low of it's a third period of a game seven. Nick Paul has the puck and I feel the the cold clenches on my throat and I am just terrified of what this guy's going to do with the puck on a stick. Nick Paul, that's that's a new feeling and a new low. In all seriousness, though, like that, that's kind of what I'm talking about with what Tampa was able to get out of the lower part of their lineup. Just those those timely, not just big goals, but like important shifts that you know help to shift or sustain momentum things like that that i just don't think the leafs got enough of out of their bottom six and you you know you've got physical elements like kyle clifford and wayne simmons but they aren't guys that you can really trust to play big minutes or really significant roles at all at this point in their careers it's it's guys like nick paul when you're talking about two clubs that have as much high-end firepower as the leafs and tampa do it's around the margins that can really make the difference. And I think that's just kind of speaks to, to what I was getting at with diversifying the forward group moving forward. Yeah. And I think the one guy that we can all kind of, you know, I mean, we know we'll be back and, and is probably 
you know, we're probably okay with that is the one guy in, in the on the third line that did come up big in a couple of yeah. moments in, in the series on the score sheet. And then also just played very well and did his thing, which, you know, like David camp is, is an ex like, I have no issues with him as returning as the third line center. And I, I think we all kind of had issues with him as being the third line center when it's the season started. And he, he completely proved his yeah. worth. He came up big, you know, in, uh, you know, with a couple of goals early in the series and, and also just the smaller stuff that you don't always notice, but like, how many defensive zone faceoffs did he get put out for that was immediately puck out down, you know, whistle in the other end and Matthews comes on like that's, that's as much of his job as anything else is just getting the puck to the other end of the ice and, and getting the other guys out there. And he did that very well, but he's also at the same time, not going to maybe give you the kind of physical energy or the kind of uh, spark, you know, for lack of a better term, when you need it, um, if the, if the offense isn't working out. Um, but that's, I think when you just go, you compliment him with a, a four uh, with a winger that could, that could potentially bring that. Agreed wholeheartedly. I, I think David camp like massively exceeded all of our expectations this season, proved to be a really valuable part of this team, uh, locked down a really specific role that it, was a, a big part of their success throughout the season. Uh, yeah, absolutely no problems with him and his role. Uh, I, th I think he was a great signing by Dubas last year. I got to eat a little bit of crow on that one, but it, it doesn't taste so bad. But both of his wings are, are probably wide open. Yeah, I mean, Mikheyev is probably not coming back. I, I think that, it's, you know, even putting aside the, the past tensions in the relationship between him and the club, yeah. the, the fact that, you know, he scored 20 goals this season in kind of limited action proved to be a real speed threat i think that in free agency there's going to be some teams that are, are willing to pay him well beyond what the leafs will be not only willing to but able to yeah it's going to be an interesting off season uh lots of decisions to be made um so we'll be back with uh some preview stuff some draft stuff nick we we haven't bothered you for a whole lot of draft content on the pod this year so we're gonna we're gonna squeeze it all out of you um in in the run-up when i'm sure you won't be busy at all <laughs> well I, I was hoping that we weren't really gonna have to be focused on that so early this time around uh, <laughs> i think we all kind of felt that maybe we weren't gonna have to be so focused on that this time around but hey at least we've got a first round pick this year that's right for now <laughs> for now yeah for now. i kind of hope we, i kind of hope we don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so we'll we'll it will hit you up for that but we'll let you uh enjoy some more of the uh the fishing season first so we'll, we'll take a little break oh yes having a blast <laughs> <laughs> as always uh all right gentlemen um we'll we'll do it again next year go leafs go <laughs> go leafs